keep awake. Therefore, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This reminds me of a, a prayer in Compline. Um, Compline is the, the last service of the evening before bed. I don't know how much you guys get into the praying of the hours. Um, nine different services throughout the day in the monastic uh, tradition. Compline's the last one right before you go to bed. I love, love this service. It's very short, and this prayer is so gorgeous. It says, keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. It's beautiful. I love that shield, the joyous. <laughs> Don't often pray for that. It's a prayer of safety in the dark night, but it's also about calm and quiet coziness. It's the feeling of that service is about connection through the night. Compline as a whole service is sort of 50% protect us because it's dark and we don't know what could happen. And 50%, yes, good darkness, like a cozy blanket, (laughs) right? Keep watch, it says. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Wake up. Keep watch also means guard. Don't forget. Remember. But this prayer, this keep watch, dear Lord, prayer is about God watching and guarding and remembering us. And the gospel is about us watching and guarding and remembering everything else. It's about us keeping watch to see God show up. Because Matthew says, God is like a thief in the night. (laughs) God is a thief in the night, so you better watch out. Make sure he doesn't steal your stuff. You may have heard something else in today's gospel reading. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. What does that mean? Is it like those bumper stickers that say, warning in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned? Meaning what? That the driver and presumably the other riders are saved, forgiven, and righteous, or at least more so than the rest of us, And therefore, we'll be taken up to heaven in the end, leaving the rest of us behind? There's a little problem here. How do you know your car will be unmanned? Years ago at the Edge House, we had a lovely housekeeper named Rhonda. Rhonda said she grew up in a church where only the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation could take communion. And she wasn't one of them. How do you know when it'll happen? When Jesus explicitly says that you don't, how do you know you are righteous and others aren't? And if you do know that your righteousness is so great, is that not the sin of pride that just smacks you right back into the driver's seat of your car in the first place? I'm joking around a little bit here, but I'm also not joking. There is a substantial portion of Christians who believe that one day all believers are going to be caught up into the sky, leaving their families and friends to fend for themselves in the coming tribulation. There are, in fact, even uh, companies that will watch your dogs afterwards, which I guess is good. 
Is this real? No, it's not real. This passage aside, the rapture is not biblical. People came up with it like 150 years ago. Just because something is new doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but this is not what scripture is about. This is not what Jesus is doing here. The point is not knowing the time or who. The point of this reading and really all of scripture isn't about you personally being saved. The point is us keeping watch to see God show up. Not the end of the world kind of scenario, not so that if we worry enough about it, we can stave off disaster because we already know that doesn't work. And it's not to prove that we were right and some other religion was wrong. The point is to focus on the here and now because God made this. We have a whole story about God spending seven days making this. God commands us to care for the here and now because this is where the people are. Keep awake, keep watch, pay attention. We are meant to keep watch so that we can see God moving and acting in all the things. Our Jewish siblings say the core of Torah, the core of the law, is the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Hear. Listen. But also that word Shema means guard, protect, hold safely. It's on their doorposts, in their hearts, in their prayers. They're always on the lookout for God, not because God is rare, but because it is so abundant. Look, God is actually all around all the time. So what are we looking for? What are the hallmarks of God being present around us? I joked about it earlier, but the gospel says to keep awake because God is like a thief in the night. Maybe part of what we need to keep awake is to see what God is going to take from us. God sneaking around and taking away our self-righteousness and our certainty. Or God coming like a thief in the night to rid us of our white supremacy or our misogyny. God planning a complex heist to relieve us of purity culture, manipulation, greed. Keep watch so that you too can have your internal house emptied out and be prepared for transformation. How do we know we're paying attention and seeing God? Maybe it feels like a loss, a sudden shift of awareness where it's an unbearable lightness because those things that we have clung to are gone. Alternatively, it might feel like fullness, the fullness of the fruits of the Spirit. Just before we left this place for quarantine in 2020, we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we say where you see these fruits, where you experience these fruits, you see the Spirit of God. Both because that thing shows up and is fed by the presence of God. Listen, it's, let me back up. It's like when the Edge House gives away espresso, 
when we've done that here or we do it on campus. The espresso itself is delicious and is a gift. God's gift to humanity, perhaps. It's a gift all by itself, but it's also a sign. It's also a hallmark of a deeper thing, the love that we have as a community and for our wider community. These coffee giveaways are for us the fruit of the Spirit. So I guess we have to revise Galatians and add coffee to the list. I don't know. These fruits, they're not the only way to tell that God is up to something, but they are pretty reliable. When you see someone acting loving, even a little bit, that's God doing a thing. When you see someone joyful, dancing maybe, or laughing, or singing, God is there. When you see someone being patient with their kid or with their grumpy neighbor, even if they are sighing and clenching their teeth, that's God propping them up to do that work. These fruits are things that we can see, and they are everywhere. They show up in in strangers and friends alike. They show up in people that we consider enemies or people we are disappointed in, people who sometimes sneer back at us. They exist already within us, even though sometimes we're not very good at seeing it happen. Open your eyes wide, your, your literal eyes, yes, Your literal eyes are miraculous. Look. Look around, but open your heart as well. Keep watch. What do you see? This is important, and I hope that you can hear me because it sounds like my mic disappeared for a second there. I hope you can hear this. What can you see? I see my children excited to show each other what they're learning. I see my neighbors on our cul-de-sac who, when election season comes around, you can tell that we don't agree with each other based on the signs in our yards. I see my neighbors setting up art projects together and communal dinners. I see local government officials trying so hard to help people. I see students across UC's campus talking to each other in deep and complex ways about an anonymous letter that a black professor received recently with details of specific ways that she and all black scholars should be lynched. I also see white students expressing revulsion and shock, but also creativity about how to stop these kinds of things. I see students checking in on me daily as I had the flu this week, asking if they can do anything, and I see those same students cooking nosh dinner last week because I couldn't be there, and then running nosh without me. It's amazing. I see a former Good Shepherd family trying to say goodbye to their matriarch, though they are still wildly angry a year later at cancer for taking her. I see more and more families and kids gathering every Sunday here for Connect. I see people across the country standing up for the victims of the most recent mass shootings at Club Q and that Virginia Walmart, the veteran and the trans woman fighting off the shooter to protect the people in the club, 
the people trying to keep these things from happening again. These are not just our own actions, but God, the creator and sustainer of all things, in whom we live and move and have our being, the spark of encouragement when we're scared, God swirling among us, supporting our work like a a flying buttress on a cathedral. This is God mixing things up, nudging, showing up, even when things, things seem dark and dire. Advent is a time of waiting, we're told. It's a little disingenuous since we know the end of the story. We've known it for 2,000 years. It's a time of waiting for the light to return when it's dark and cold and we have seasonal affective disorder and things just seem bad. What if Advent were also about seeing what already is. We call Jesus Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God with us. What if we're not waiting? God who is already right now with us in this very room. Pay attention. Wake up. Keep watch. Amen. Amen.